at the start of this year, we are starting a new series called A Story to Live In. Um, We're going to spend most of this term journeying through the grand narrative, the kind of the arc of story of the Bible. Uh, We're going to make a few pit stops along the way, but um, obviously there's a lot in there, so we're not going to cover everything, uh, but we want to try and get get a sense of like the grand story that is happening and unfolding uh, through the words on the page. And, And the aim, really the heart behind this series is to give you confidence uh, give you a sense of kind of confidence and, and also like wonder uh, and desire to delve into this story, to find your place and part amongst it uh, and see it for all that it is um, as you read it. And so today's talk is going to be more, um, it's like more of like an introduction and sort of a couple of reasons. I, I just felt kind of, I wanted to share this is why we're doing this. And so um, ironically, we're not going to study the Bible tonight. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm going to like talk, talk a bit more around it um, uh, and sort of pick out some things about why I think it's so vital uh, and some things that I'm noticing in, in the world that we live in and, and how we're following Jesus and, and how that can actually be uh, so um, enriched and informed uh, by approaching the Bible differently. And so um, what I want to do to start with is to ask, you're going to get a bonus break, uh, but just 30 seconds. Um, and I asked it slightly differently this morning and I realised as I was asking it, that doesn't actually work, so let me edit it. Um, uh, what is the best book, your favorite book, your favorite film, basically your favorite story that you've ever read or heard or watched? So just turn to the people that you were just chatting to, 30 seconds, what's your favorite story? Um, any shout outs? I'm gonna have a couple from this side of the room who heard something that, Debbie, what, are oh, you just waving at me? You're just being kind. Oh, thank you. Hello. Um, any any stories, films? Going to shout them out. Who's who thinks that they've seen the best th- the, the best one out there? Ha- oh, get out. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You're allowed your opinion, even if it's wrong. Um, uh, any other any others? I won't be so critical. Uh, <laughs> oh no, you're allowed to like Harry Potter. I just tell you what it is is um, because I was too old for the books when they first came out, because they were like, oh, I was a bit younger. Um, I, my first introduction to Harry Potter, and I thought, Daniel Radcliffe is not a very good actor. I'm not going to watch these. I'm just going to put it out there. Wow, I've really offended you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're, um, we're going to start again. If I'm going to go to this side of the room, um, and I'm not going to critique your answer. Uh, any, any stories or films on this side of the room? Narnia, come on, that's a, that's a proper series. Um, uh, well done, these guys got it right. Um, uh, so I think Shawshank Redemption is the best film ever made. I'm just going to leave that there. I, don't, I actually don't think you can argue with that. Um, we are, each of us, there's no follow-up point to that, I just think that. Um, uh, we, each of us, we are living in a story. Uh, the story uh, that is forming us, shaping us, creating the way that we think, the way that we respond to life's situation. 
And so uh, in terms of your story, uh, there are things that are outside of your control that has made up your story, like where you were born, the family that you were born into, where you were raised, uh, the culture that you're from, the nation that you were born into, the education system uh, that you were part of in your younger years. So there's things that are like uh, outside of your control, but have formed who you are and where you're from and uh, how you think and, and respond and react. And then there are things uh, as we grow as adults that are within our control. So like the things that we choose to consume, the things that we choose to give our attention to, who we follow, what we read, uh, the music that we listen to, the shows that we watch. Just um, a quick shout out. Uh, has anyone watched BBC's The Traitors? Oh my goodness, it's so good. Um, Best film, Shawshank Redemption. Best TV show in the world, The Traitors. Uh, I'm 100% not, I'm 100% faithful. Um, it, it just watch it, you'll know it's the best thing ever. Um, uh, then there are uh, stories that we are surrounded by in our culture. They're like, kind of, we've spoken about it here before. David Foster Wallace, uh, a kind of social commentator, described it as the waters that we swim in. We're just like, we're so kind of in it that we don't even notice uh, what's around us. Uh, we're just, it's in the culture, immersing us in every direction. So that's like from advertisers, they use stories uh, to create this sense of, I long for uh, this thing. They're trying to get you to believe that what they have is what you need, or news is trying to tell the story of current affairs through journalism or leaders and campaigners and activists are trying to get you to believe their particular view on things and the world. And so the stories that we choose to adopt, to retell each other, to listen to, all of those kind of come together to form who we are and who we are becoming. They instruct how we perceive the world they instruct how we react to certain events in the world. Ultimately, uh, they become the things that we believe to be true. So the story we live in is the story we live out. Let me explain that with um, a little update on my three-year-old. Um, I've mentioned here before that our three-year-old is obsessed with Captain Hook, um, uh, and that is now uh, about 14 months deep. Uh, he still wears the same Captain Hook outfit multiple times a week, consistently wears it to nursery, even though they've consistently told me uh, he can't do that, and I'm consistently telling them there's no reasoning with this kid. Um, uh, he woke up uh, the other day, uh, and the first thing that he said to me is um, he literally he got out of bed and he just sort of made a hook with his finger and he said I'm gonna get that Peter Pan <laughs> he's just he's so immersed into the story of the Captain Hook kind of world it's just like how he sees things he wakes up thinking about it he spends his time living into the story and immersing himself in the story of Captain Hook and as a result he lives out the story of Captain Hook every single day. For the story you live in is the story you live out. And that doesn't stop once you stop listening to nursery rhymes uh, or watching Peter Pan. You see, you are living into particular stories that form how you think, how you behave, how you react to life's up and downs. Ultimately, they are uh, the story you are living in 
It is what you believe to be true. So therefore, it's going to be how you live out your life here on this earth. And so, with all that in mind, there is this great invitation from the story of Scripture, from the Bible as we know it. This great invitation that when so many of the stories that we are surrounded by in our world seem to be failing, so many systems and ideologies seem to just not quite have what it takes. So many of the stories are turning out to be fake or letting us down or not coming through when we need them to. There is a story that has seen cultures and kingdoms and political systems and ideologies come and go, yet it remains true. A story of grace, of justice, a story of love, a lover and his beloved, of transformation of the human heart since the foundation of the world. You see, in the story of scripture, in the story of the Bible, there is a story that gives meaning to who you are. It gives meaning to your lives. It shows you the way of love. It reveals the power of forgiveness and leads you into peace. And so it's that story uh, that I want to spend the next couple of months uh, going into, making a few pit stops along the way, but so that we can immerse ourselves into it, that we would wake wake up thinking, how do I live out the great story uh, of God and his people and my part in it? And so uh, by way of introduction, um, uh, I'm going to treat you guys to a video. It's a little bit longer, um, uh, and it kind of gives this overview of like what ultimately is happening in the story of Scripture. And so, as I said, there's a little bit of a different talk. It's more like a kind of a teeing up a few things, and then uh, for the following weeks, we'll pick some particular bits of Scripture uh, and go through them uh, from Genesis onwards. So for this week, I'd love you to turn your eyes to the screens. This is a brilliant team. Uh, at the Bible Project. Um, Highly recommend you go and check out that website. Uh, And this is the general overview of the story of Scripture. There's a lot in there. Um, And uh, why don't we just take a moment, just like in quiet, um, uh, just kind of, there might be something that like stood out to you in that uh, video. It might be something new, surprising, something you've been reminded of. Ultimately, like this is our story. This is our origin story and continues to be told uh, here through his church and in his world. You see, the, the Bible is not a textbook with a formula for life, nor is it just a set of rules to follow, but rather the Bible is primarily a story to live into that you might find freedom and fullness of life and then live out that same story. I love uh, Sandra uh, Rich's summary. She says this when when reading scripture, our objective is to understand the story of redemption. To understand, to immerse ourselves into and live out a story of redemption. I think one of the main reasons the Bible is in story form is because stories don't just tell you something and leave it there. When you tell a good story, when you listen to a good story, it invites participation. 
It invites you to find your place within it. This is Eugene Peterson. A good storyteller gathers us into the story. We feel the emotions, get caught up in the drama. We realize there is more to being human than we have yet explored or experienced. And so ultimately, as you live your life, as you live out uh, your, the story of your life, you are consciously or unconsciously uh, uh, trying to answer three fundamental questions, and they are this. Who am I? Where do I belong? What am I supposed to do? So in the story of Scripture, God is inviting you to participate in his life with him to participate in the life of God, to help you work out the answer to those three questions, to help you discover the joy and the freedom of following the way of Jesus, seeing your story as part of this much, much bigger story that is far beyond yours, to become part of this unfolding story, get caught up in the drama and the adventure, to find freedom, safety, and love. And so uh, for today, as I said, I just want to give like a few reasons as to why we want to journey further into it. It's almost like obvious, right? We're a church. We're going to read the Bible. Uh, but I want to kind of give a little bit more than just like it's sort of something that's good to do and we think it's true. And so therefore we're going to look at it. Uh, and so I'm going to give a few reasons um, and then I'm going to finish with a statistic for anyone that likes statistics. Anyone, any hands up for statistics? Yeah, come on. Something to look forward to at the end. So uh, here are a few reasons. Firstly, uh, reason one, uh, is I think that trust comes before faith. You know, before we can have faith that God will listen to us, experience relationship with him, speak with him, draw alongside him, basically have an active, living, present faith, we first have to learn to trust the character of the God that we are following, that we are speaking to, and that we are listening to. You see, because life is often confusing and, and it's no particularly different uh, with faith. There are setbacks and frustration and confusion. And in those times, what we need is trust. You see, in my experience so far of uh, following Jesus these last few years, uh, in my experience, it's really hard to like will yourself into faith. It's really hard to like kind of muster up this sense of connection and kind of relationship and, and union uh, with God in heaven. But trusting in the character and the promises of God is something that I can do. Choosing to put my trust, choosing to put my belief into those promises to a God who listens in the silence, listens in the frustration to the frustrations. Um, uh, our son Eli uh, our eldest son he's now five and a half um, there was a moment when he was being born um, where we thought that he was going to die uh, we had been um, uh, or Hannah uh, had been in labour for 36 hours up until that point before uh, we got to that stage which if you just haven't gone through that it's quite a long time to be in labour um, fun fact about that I was reminded of at lunch by my wife uh, was um, after 24 hours neither of us had eaten and so she sent me out she was like just go and get yourself some food I can't eat um, I'm just not feeling like it but just go and see it. Just, all you need to do is just go find the first place with food and just go there 
no messing around, come straight back. Um, I was in uh, Euston at UCLH at the time, uh, and I walked out the door of the hospital, lit genuinely, the only place that was open and available, a lobster restaurant. <laughs> Uh, so, I had lobster during a 36-hour uh, pregnancy uh, of my wife. I was following the instructions. I got it to go. It was like in a wrap. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, there was this moment where um, uh, we, uh, we were kind of like faced with this like terrifying thing, like first-time parents didn't know what was going on, uh, where um, they had lost Eli's heartbeat uh, and they rushed Hannah into the surgery room in the theater to do an emergency C-section. They chucked these scrubs at me saying, we're not gonna wait for you if you get there in time, great, but we're not waiting. Um, so it's kind of like frantically putting these clothes on and all I remember about that situation, I don't really, can't, can't even remember the room, but all I remember uh, was just sitting next to Hannah's head when I eventually got there and we were reciting the words, the first line of Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd. We have all that we need. The Lord is our shepherd, both crying, the anaesthetists being like these wacko Christians uh, uh, and just reciting this truth. I I'd say like in that moment, don't know whether I had loads of faith don't know whether I had this like great connection and kind of a great sense of God being with us, yet we were just choosing to put our trust in him, reciting the words of our story. And, and as a result, like my faith seems to have grown as I journey more and more with Jesus, as I put my trust into him, turns out he turns up. He makes a way, he brings breakthrough, sometimes when we're like so at the end of ourselves, but my faith grows from seeing him move in so many different ways. I love how Tyler Staten, pastor in Portland, puts it this way. I trust the God who, even when he doesn't make the suffering go away, wears the suffering alongside me. You see, to trust in God's character for his provision and guidance, comfort and breakthrough and healing, we need to get to know what he is really like, get to know the one whom we are following. And that is found as we immerse ourselves into the story of scripture, a story of a kind father loving and journeying with his children. So reason two, uh, because you are busy. Um, I just spent um, uh, three days away uh, on an annual retreat. I go away with uh, three other guys that I trained with. We're all vicars in the Church of England. This is our ninth year in a row going to the same place in uh, Anglesey. It's like North Wales. Um, uh, there was actually a fun moment this week where um, we, one of the things that we like to do, we spend lots of time praying, we spend a bit of time in quiet. Uh, we spend loads of time encouraging each other. And um, then we go to the gym. Um, in the afternoon because like we're all like obviously hench uh, just need to like pump some iron you know to retreat when I say gym we actually go to the sauna uh, and uh, and like maybe just sort of get involved with the jacuzzi and like sort of sort of like nod to a swim with exercise but mainly we're there for the good stuff and um, uh, this week uh, we were all in there it was like it's really quiet when we go up there because it's like off season and um, uh, four vicars in a sauna and then this uh, lady comes in um, uh, she was from Liverpool and um, she kind of like started chatting to us which I was like well I don't don't make conversations in sauna but anyway um, uh, we uh, 
entertained the conversation and they were like, oh yeah, we're actually all here. We were vicars in the Church of England. We're on a retreat. We do this every year, we're doing it for nine years. Um, and then she said this, you're telling me that I'm in a sauna with four vicars. I can't wait to tell my mum about this. And that made me happy. And that's my best Liverpudlian accent. So often in life, it's when we slow down it's when we take time out, when we go on a holiday or we have like a decent day off or uh, we take a retreat. It's like this stark reminder of just how full on and busy life can get. You know, when you think about your life, my assumption would be is you probably think it's busy, like your job, your home life, your studies, your friends, your families, all the shows that you need to catch up on. And then especially in 2023, I was about to say two, in 2023, when each one of us is carrying the internet around in our pocket every single day, which connects you to just about anything of all times, anywhere, any place. When you think about that, gosh, the, the, kind of the, atten- the um, competition for your attention is stiff. And so therefore, naturally, you're busy. You're filled with all these things. You're kind of contactable by all these different ways. And I don't think there's anything wrong with hard work. I'm a big advocate uh, for hard work. But there is a tipping point between good, intentional hard work and then overload, hurry, grasping at the edge for some sense of breath, constantly on edge. Um, Michael Zigarelli, he's a professor at um, a university in the States called Messiah University. Uh, He did a five-year study with 20,000 Christians until recently, uh, and he identified that busyness was the number one distraction from a life with God. Um, and he, this was his conclusion. I've kind of put it into a, a diagram for us. He says this, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how we live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. Like it feels close to the bone because I can identify my life somewhere in there at moments. And you know, the danger is until we reorder our lives, until we get out of that cycle, our busyness and our tiredness becomes a self-propelling, self-fulfilling wheel that doesn't lead us to life and wholeness. It does not lead us to freedom and it certainly doesn't get us much closer to the presence of God who is so ready to meet with us if we could just give a moment, if we could just give some time. And so like, don't hear this as a damning critique of your schedule. I am very much talking to myself in this. Rather, in the midst of the noise and the distraction of the waters that you are swimming in in this culture, there is a gentle invitation from a present and loving God who is inviting you specifically into a spacious place of enjoying his presence. 
as you immerse yourself into his living and active word, as you find your place within his story. One of the reasons I want us to journey through this is because we are so busy. Third reason, because you're overwhelmed. Uh, You and I uh, have been uh, raised into a culture of self-sufficiency and deconstruction. Uh, What I mean by this is um, uh, there was a period in the 18th century called the Enlightenment, which is when uh, thinkers of the day put forth uh, the uh, notion uh, that we are to chuck out religion and traditions. We've outgrown them. We've outgrown kind of faith, God, religion, traditions. And what we have now is science and reason which are not in conflict with one another. Yet at the time, that was the thing that was presented. And so as uh, the result, uh, the people, people in general don't trust God. Yet after the most barbaric and bloodiest century record, ever recorded, we've got plenty of reasons to not trust people either. And so uh, in general, we've become skeptical uh, and cynical. So the logical next step when you're raised into a culture like that, and that's some of the background, the logical next step is to only trust yourself. Your security, satisfaction, sense of justification is now found in you, in your self-sufficiency, or you might have heard it like this, my truth, it's my way, you know, it's my right to the things that I want. And Jesus once wisely said, we will know a tree by its fruit. So what's the fruit of the story of self-sufficiency? Well, like, like anything else and like unlike any other time in human history, we're overwhelmed. You see, everyone I talk to at the moment on some level is drowning in their thing. You know, it doesn't matter if your thing is an artistic endeavor or profit margins or study or raising children or what's next or what's going to become of my life. Like we often can't seem to get past our thing because our thing, whatever it happens to be, is so all-consuming. And so as a culture, we've avoided believing in God or really believing in each other and we've exchanged it for being overwhelmed under the weight of our own story. And so the only way out of that, the only way into life and freedom is to live into a bigger story that is beyond yours, that has more power and potential to change your reality, to live into a story of hope and transformation. That's the thing that can bring and make sense of your life rather than under the unmanageable weight of being Lord of your own story. We need a Lord who is far beyond and far greater than just us to breathe life, to breathe his mercy and his compassion and his goodness into our reality, to live into God's redemptive story that speaks today. Reason four, and I've just got two more. Reason four, because complaints are welcome. You see, God isn't anywhere nearly as worried as you are and I can be about like our mixed motives and our mixed emotions and our mixed agendas when it comes to life and particularly faith with God. Here are a few examples of things that have made their way into scripture 
kind of scripture being like the God-ordained story that captures the heart of God uh, and leads people towards him. Here are some of the things in the living act of word of God. May burning coals, uh, sorry, may burning coals fall on them. May they be, may they drown into the fire, into miry pits, never to rise. Or Psalm 69, I'm worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are failing. I'm looking for my God. Or I pour out my complaints. I tell him of my trouble. You see, throughout Scripture, there's these moments of severe like anger. There's moments of desperation and depression. And there's these big complaints being like, God, what the heck? What is going on? All of that has made itself into what we call the canon of Scripture. All of that has made itself into uh, the Bible. Lots of them in the Psalms, these raw and honest cries to God, sometimes about his absence, sometimes about pain, sometimes about struggles with temptation and distraction, sometimes about moments of breakthrough as they sit alongside Psalm 18 that says this, I love you, Lord, my strength, my rock, fortress, deliverer. I share that to kind of give you a taster of complaints are welcome because God is looking for real, honest, raw relationship with you. He is not threatened by some of your doubts. He is not threatened by your questions. He is inviting you into his presence to come and ask them in the safety of his love. He is not looking for well-prepared kind of pre-knowledge of everything that's going on and a little history degree and a theology degree in your back pocket. He's just looking for you, simply you, to come to him, to live into this story of scripture, to find your voice and to find your part in your human experience. That has to include complaining. That has to include raw honesty uh, and God can handle it. Finally, uh, I believe that we need to read scripture because it will change your life. Um, Before uh, I got ordained, I was going through this kind of process of um, working out, is this what I want to do? Is this what I'm called to do? And um, I was just about to go for my interview and I was staying at a friend's house who lives near where the interview is. And um, I was absolutely petrified, did not know what I was supposed to do. Um, I was one of the youngest people in the Church of England to be exploring ordination at the time. So what that meant is like, I just felt kind of like way underqualified, nowhere near enough experience, didn't have a degree, uh, just didn't feel like this was something that I felt excited to do. And um, I was wrestling with like, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Is this where I belong? And um, uh, I noticed at three o'clock in the morning, um, uh, I noticed there was this Bible in the like, bedside table. And so I got it up and I opened it out. And um, I don't recommend this as like a general reading plan uh, for how to engage with scripture, but just go with it for the sake of this story. Um, I, I literally opened it, it fell open on Exodus 33. And um, it's this moment where Moses is wrestling with God about what he is called to do. And he says this, how will anyone know that you're with me unless you go with us? How will we be distinguished between anyone else on the face of the earth if you're not with us? 
this like cry of like, God, like I don't really know what to do. I just, I just want to know that you're in this, that this is what you called me to do. And God's promise in his response were the very words that I needed to hear in that moment. It's as if like the words jumped out off the page, speaking directly into my heart. And they are the very words that I carry today, 13 years later from that evening. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This assurance, this comfort, this clarity, exactly what I needed to hear in that moment changed the trajectory of my life. You see, as you engage with God, as you immerse yourself into scripture, it changes your life. There are so many, so many examples I could give of how God has spoken to, challenged me, encouraged me, equipped me through scripture. This is God breathed, meaning that the Holy Spirit is living, present, active within the words on the page, ready to speak to you, ready to encounter you. And so for the next couple of months, uh, we're going to, as I said, pick up on themes and threads, making a few pit stops along the way into the, into the specific uh, stories. And so that's what our series is going to look like. Um, and so uh, before I finish, before I give you your stat, um, I just want to say like a couple of precursors to this, uh, and then we'll finish in worship. Let me just rifle through these. Um, We will miss out far more than we cover. It's a big book. Um, uh, We believe that this is God's authoritative word, meaning that the Bible is God's perfect word, inspired by God and scribed by man. And so we don't think there are mistakes in uh, the canon of Scripture or things that we need to skip over but there are things that we need to wrestle with, understand, read in context, get to know, grapple with, and there is a mystery to pursuing a God who is beyond us. Um, It's not about you, it's for you, ultimately finding your freedom in a life that is beyond yours in the life of Jesus, making him the central figure of your story. Um, uh, The aim is not to get through the Bible, but to get the Bible through you. Um, My hope is by the end of uh, this series, you're inspired to delve further for yourself into this, to allow his words, his love to transform you. And lastly, it's a lifelong journey. Charles Spurgeon said this, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. And so I want to encourage you, um, if there are people that you know who are a bit further ahead in their journey of faith, talk to them. There are people, there are a few people in this room who have been reading the Bible for years and years and years. Like ask them, like, what are you reading? What are you thinking about? How do you do it? How do you structure it? Where do you do it? What are the questions that you are asking? There is so much knowledge available to you here. And and also to help with that, uh, we're going to do two seminars, one on the Old Testament, one on the New Testament. We've got people coming in uh, to help us think through that. Like the aim is really to give you tools, like Bible tools, uh, to engage with this story um, together. Um, And there's loads of stuff on the website as well, uh, forward slash story. So let me finish with this surprising statistic. Uh, And then we'll worship. 50% of all patents in the West are from the Jewish community. 
um, a, a patent uh, is um, uh, is the right. It's like the copyright of an idea. Effectively, it's the uh, the copyright of an invention uh, for a product uh, or a general new way of doing things that offers a technical solution to a problem. Often used in business or entrepreneurial endeavours. Uh, so let me read that again. 50% of the registered trademarked ideas that are new in the West are from a community whose population is 15 million people. That's 0.2% of the world's population are responsible for 50% of the new trademarked ideas. That is a surprising statistic. That is an out-of-proportion statistic. And why is that? Well, I want to suggest they know their story. If you think about the Jewish community, their whole week, the rhythm and the structure of their families, what they go and learn uh, at temple, all of it is to immerse themselves into their story, their origin story. They know their story, ultimately this story um, that they are trying to, the, uh, the, the questions that we are trying to answer as we live out our stories. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what am I supposed to do? You see, when you become so immersed into a story, so immersed into a story, uh, what you don't do is spend most of your life trying to work out the answer to the first two. Who am I and where do I belong? If you think about the Jewish community, the answer to those first two questions is really clear. They're given it from birth and they're immersed into it in the way that they structure their life and the way that they structure their weeks and the things that they teach uh, their uh, kids and, uh, and teach one another. Because they have not spending their 20s or their teenage years, their 20s, their 30s, trying to work out who they are and where they belong. Because they know that, they are then free. They are released to read and create and dream and invent and explore what they were created to do. I suggest that is the reason why 0.2% of the world's population are responsible for 50% of the patentants' ideas in, uh, in our world today. What if we lived into a story like that? Can you imagine the freedom and the fruit that would come of it? John 8 says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, we have everything that we need in the story of Jesus. And better still, we have the living and active presence of a God empowering us through his Holy Spirit to live out our story. You see, in Jesus, when we think about those questions, who are you? Well, you're a child of God who has been redeemed by his son. Where do you belong? Well, you belong to him and you belong to his family and followers. And so what are you supposed to do? You're called to be a disciple, to allow the truth to change and transform your life, that the truth might be in you and that truth would set you free. So God believes in you. He believes in your story. He wants to bring you life and freedom. Are you willing to go in on him?
to live into his story of redemption, to live out your story of redemption in the world around you.